Welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast, leading the way in the business of medicine. Now here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the NSCHBC EDGE podcast. I'm your host, Terry Fletcher. The EDGE podcast is brought to you today by the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. Our goal is to discuss healthy business principles, have conversations on the business side of medicine, so that you and your practice can thrive, be profitable, and successful for years to come. This week on the EDGE podcast, I welcome back healthcare attorney and fellow NSCHBC member, Amanda Waish. Amanda operates a national healthcare legal practice and is licensed in both Ohio and Florida. Our topic of discussion today has been headlighting the healthcare news in the last, I would say, well, I want to say a couple of weeks, but I think it's actually been a couple of months. And that is the Provider Relief Funding Single Audit Act. And many of you may not know what that is. And luckily we have an, a legal expert in mind here to let us know what all goes into that. And so we're going to go ahead and dive right in. So good morning, Amanda. Good morning, Terry. Thank you so much for having me again. Yeah, no, I'm happy to have you. And and actually, Amanda did, is always there for me if I'm like, I need a guest. <laughs> we we have people that are like, well, I'm kind of busy right now. And I'm like, Amanda's like, I'll do it. I'm like, yay. <laughs> so I'm really happy that you're here. Oh, of course. And I, w- I would not miss it for the world. I think this is such a great podcast. And I do want to congratulate you because I haven't had a chance to publicly congratulate you on your nomination for one of the best female hosted podcasts. Um, that was a really fantastic nomination, and you did such a great job. So congratulations. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. So what do we want to talk about is the the single audit uh, requirements. And, and first of all, before we jump in, let me ask a question, because I know I have clients, you may have clients as well, and we're talking about um, physicians, hospitals, and, you know, healthcare entities, that when they hear audit, they hear what I hear in my wheelhouse, which is you could get audited for XYZ for, you know, billing practices or poor documentation or, you know, false claim act, things like that. But this is different than that, right? They're not coming to you. That's right. That's right, Terry. Um, the government is not coming to the providers in the single audit world. Um, the, the burden is on the provider to determine Am I subject to the single audit requirement? And am I required to proactively perform a single audit and then report that to the Office of Management and Budget? So the burden is on the provider. And, and, and let's take a step back, Terry. I, I mean, the, the provider relief funds, while they certainly were necessary for many of our providers to help them keep the doors open and the lights on and provide necessary healthcare services. There was so much confusion, yeah. especially in the beginning. You know, a lot of them woke up, they they found that there was this, you know, huge deposit that was in their account. <laughs> they didn't know what it was for. They didn't know what to do with it. Some of them returned it, right? And now they can't get it back. Some of them didn't know what, you know, they, they misused the money. They didn't realize they had to report. And then you add on top of it a single audit requirement. Most of our providers, at least that I work with, are for profit. They are not the recipient of government grants or funding. And so the concept of a single audit is so foreign to them because they don't deal with it. Now, my FQHCs, my nonprofits that are used to getting governmental grants and funds and having to look at you know, and analyze, hey, do I have to do a single audit? This was 
this was less of a foreign concept to them, but it did take everybody by surprise. And the government said, oh, no, no, you, you are subject to single audit and you, you need to do this. And so here we are scrambling, trying to educate these poor providers and also trying to find someone that has knowledge, not only in single audit, but in the provider relief funds, which is a brand new program that really didn't have a ton of guidance. And over the past few years, we've seen commentary and guidance be issued. And, and I hate to use this phrase because you're not supposed to use it, right? They, they were literally building the plane while they were flying it with this yeah. program. Yes. Um, so it, it, you put all of that together and no wonder people are confused. Sometimes I'm confused, you know? I, yeah, I mean, me too. Well, because I'm getting obviously a lot of client questions. I'm sure your phone was ringing off the hook when that money first came in. And and just to clarify for our listeners, what we're talking about is the HHS, so the, the provider relief funding that, again, Amanda mentioned that was kind of dumped in your checking account. The first two phases, you really didn't have a choice because that was just put in your account and you're like, what is this? And it was estimated as a certain three-month period. I think they used 2017 or 19 or something but then you had to actually apply for phase three or four to get more but here's the problem federal funds also came in the form of ppp loans um, eidl advanced accelerated medicare and so there were so many and which are now obviously people are getting offset checks to have to pay that back because that was actually a loan not a grant but here's where the the confusion lies i think and and please correct me if i'm wrong but I think that when you hear audit, and first of all, this is for recipients or entities that had, and here's the, the interesting word they use, that re either received $750,000 or more in federal awards or spent it. What? Correct me there. What is, what is the actual qualifier? That's a great question, Terry, just to help us level set. So the, the providers that are subject to single audit are those that expended more than $750,000 in their fiscal year, okay? So you had to expend more than $750,000 in federal awards, and that had to be expended in your fiscal year. Well, everyone has a different fiscal year. It doesn't necessarily mean a calendar year. Um, so if, if you are the recipient of not only provider relief funds, but other federal awards and grants, yeah. That could have pushed you into the $750,000 realm. So it's an aggregate amount of federal awards that are subject to single audit. So um, so I have several providers that may have received $300,000 or $400,000 in provider relief funds, but they also received other grants from federal programs that may, may or may not have been related to COVID. And then some state grants and funds that were pushed through from federal programs. And that put them in to the $750,000 realm. Um, and then we have to look at, well, did you expend all of that money in your fiscal year? Right. Did Not just um, did you get and, it, did you spend it? Right. Did you expend it? But here's the other problem with the provider relief funds. The provider relief funds had a uh, usage period of anywhere from 12 to 18 months. Uh, you're such a fly in the ointment. <laughs> right? That didn't necessarily correspond with the provider's fiscal year or a calendar year. Oh, and boy. so there needed to be some additional guidance that was issued. And, and, and that was, you know, that was worked out between the Office of Management and Budget and HRSA. 
And so there was a lot of confusion. Um, but basically, if you received more than $750,000 in provider relief funds, I'm going to guess that you probably kept that and did not return it and used all of it uh, based on the, the new guidance that we had. And you're going to be subject to single audit. And it's going to be very easy for the government to determine who needed to self-report um, and who didn't do and who didn't meet that obligation. Well, so here's a, here's a question on this because you, you talked about self-reporting. So I'm reading through some of these requirements and everybody, if you need to find it, it's on the hrsa.gov um, provider relief reporting audit requirement website. It actually has it on there. But I'm reading through it. And first of all, was this was seems like it was a surprise. I, I don't I didn't see this in the beginning. So this all of a sudden started coming up. I'm like, what is this? Because I think a lot of providers think, well, if we had to fill out the forms to account for our expenditures, why do we have to do this now? So is this a basically an oversight on top of that? This That's a great question. This is the single audit has been around for a long time. Okay. So any so a so any entity that received specific federal funds and grants that are subject to single audit are required to do this. I think it was a surprise that the government chose to say yes, the provider relief funds are going to be subject to the single audit re requirement. Um, there was a lot of confusion in the beginning. Is this a grant? Is this a loan? What is this? Is this taxable? Is it not taxable? And it took some time for the government to get together and say, you know what, this is includable in growth in taxable income, and this is going to be subject to single audit. And, and that took a couple of months for the government to come out and clarify, what are we going to call these provider relief funds? Again, these were funds that were pushed out uh, at the end of March, early April, uh, 2020. People didn't, you know, provide, yeah, in, in 2020, providers did not know that they were coming. It was a very confusing time. And they were touted by lawmakers as a no strings attached, you know, no strings attached monies that were going to be given to healthcare providers to help get them through the pandemic. Right. It was actually tied to COVID to start. And then they started changing it. Oh, well, now you can include this. Oh, well, now you can include that. So I think that there's, boy, the confusion around this is crazy. Well, the other thing I noticed on this, oh, here's here's a question. This is, see, I'm always seeing, you think you're just the fly in the ointment. Oh no, here here comes Terry. So here's a question for <laughs> that I'm getting from some providers. And I know this is not, they should not have done this, but they don't always listen to us. So I'm gonna put it out there. A lot of physicians that got this money basically said, well, I kept part of it in a separate account just to use for a rainy day in case I need it. You weren't supposed to do that, correct? If you didn't need it immediately, weren't you supposed to give it back? Yes. So the provider relief funds, they are used for a particular purpose and it's in the statute and that's never going to be able to be changed unless we have an amendment to the statute, which I don't think is going to happen. No, I don't and either. the purpose of the funds was to uh, assist providers and preventing, preparing for, and responding to COVID-19. So expenses that are related to preparation, response, um, and preventing COVID-19 or lost revenues attributable to COVID-19. Um, and there has been a lot of clarification over the past two years 
okay, well, what are eligible expenses and how do we calculate lost revenue? And what we've seen over the past two years is the government really saying, providers, we want you to be able to keep this money and use this money. We want to make it very easy for you to use this money. Um, but you have to use it for those purposes. And you also have to use it within a certain time period. And if you don't, then you're going to have to pay it back. But really, when you look at the definition of, well, what expenses can we use this for? And how do we calculate lost revenue? All providers, so long as they remained in business, um, should be able to use these funds because we can use the money for rent, mortgage, um, to pay our employees, to purchase supplies, uh, utilities. Um, and so we should be able to use these monies. And, and for the period one, for phase one, uh, we were able to, we had a usage period of 18 months. So uh, providers could carry that forward um, into the next fiscal year. And so the government really, as, as time went on, made it a lot easier for uh, providers to be able to use the money and, and retain the money. But that did keep evolving, right? They kept changing what they were saying about how <laughs> you're like, you're kidding me. Yes, yeah. did. <laughs> I kept seeing on our NSCHPC time. website, I kept seeing or on our listserv, which everyone, if you want something great, join our join our organization because that listserv, oh my gosh, talk about a wealth of information. I kept seeing all the healthcare CPAs and attorneys on there going, no, wait, <laughs> um, wait a minute. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Right. It was, yeah, these expenses are eligible. Now these expenses are not eligible. Now this is how we're going to calculate lost revenue. Um, you know, you have to use, you have to use expenses first. No, now you don't have to use expenses first. So literally they were building the plane as they were flying it and they were still issuing guidance during the first period of reporting. So the portal opened for reporting in July of 2021, and it was open through the end of September. Well, they had to continue to, they kept it open to the end of the year, basically, because it was, hey, we're still issuing guidance in October. <laughs> and we're changing <laughs> yeah. the rules. And, you know, and, and we're not seeing a whole lot of people report. And it's very confusing. We're getting a lot of questions. So it was just, I, I think that at the end of the day, when it comes to reporting through the portal, HRSA is going to be very forgiving if they go back and audit these providers. There's this, remember, there's a three-year look back period. Right. And I think they will be very forgiving. And hey, we were, we were issuing guidance continuously. It was changing. If you reported and you were, you know, you reported in good faith and you reported as much information as you could um, or that we requested of you based on the information you had available to you, we really want you to keep this money. Yeah, then we just have to account for it. It's more of an oversight thing, correct? It's more of an oversight thing. Okay. Now, the single audit, um, you know, those are for the, you know, the players that got a lot more money, presumably should be a little bit more sophisticated because, the lar you know, a larger organization received a lot more money and there were some delays in the reporting. So there were some grace periods um, because we were, it, instead of a 12 month use period, we had an 18 month use period. And we had, you know, we had to give time for the CPAs to catch up on the guidance. And so there, there was some grace period there. And then also, 
HRSA and OMB got together and said, we're just going to require you to report what you reported in the portal. So what you reported in the portal should match what you're reporting for single audit. Now, there is some additional testing requirements that are required um, under the single audit, but really your numbers should match. So it should be a fairly painless process, um, but still my recommendation is that you get a CPA that, that is knowledgeable in single audit and is knowledgeable with the provider relief fund. Well, and what I what I read on not just on HRSA, but a couple of the government websites that talk about this and let me know if I'm on the right track is that and this is where maybe our listeners or certain providers aren't aware of this. This has to be conducted by an independent um, auditor who knows what they're talking about, like you said, a, a healthcare CPA that has experience in the provider relief funding uh, arena because it can't just be you're not just filling out a form on the website anymore this is actually an independent audit where you have to conduct it you know figure out what happened and then make sure it kind of uh, hopefully relates to what you put in there when you reported and then submit that correct yes absolutely absolutely okay. so not only are they looking at okay are, are these proper expenses? Show me the receipts. Show me how you accounted for these. Show me that they were paid. How, you know, really testing the flow of mon money. And then, you know, your calculation of lost revenue. What methodology did you use? Where's all the supporting documentation? They're also, so part of an audit. So I, I have, I do not have an accounting. Um, I, I'm not a CPA, but I do, I, I, I did major in accounting. Um, so I have an accounting degree, Terry. So I'll give that little disclaimer. And you just and you decided to become an attorney. You're like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the legal side of it instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I yeah, exactly. I'll go to law school and I'll work with my my colleagues. Um. So so when it comes to auditing, it's there's also some some testing. So we're not just looking at the finances and and following the money. We're also looking at were you aware of what the requirements were? So did right. you have policies in place? Did you have training? Um, also, there are some rules regarding balanced billing um, and out-of-network billing under the Provider Relief Fund rules. So make sure that you're, you're looking at those regulations and, and the guidance very carefully. There's also requirements if you were using a vendor, making sure that they're not um, making sure that they're not excluded, making sure that they sign an attestation. Um, so there, there are some operational requirements. And so part of an audit from an accounting perspective is that we're, we're auditing the money, but we're also auditing the operations to make sure that it's compliant. And so that's an aspect of the single audit um, that, you know, that your independent auditor is going to be knowledgeable or should be knowledgeable about and is going to report on when they go to, to report on, on their single audit. Now I noticed that the, that the OMB had given some extensions to anyone who hadn't um, filed by a certain date, which to me, it seems like first, first thing you would look at is, you know, look at your due dates, when are things due and, um, you know, figure out what, where your fiscal year is and all that. And now you've got to look at, okay, do I need an extension because I'm not going to make it? Do you have to apply for an extension if you, if you haven't filed yet? So there were some initial, so this is kind of a, a 
a two-part question or a two-part answer. So there were initial extensions in the beginning because we realized very quickly, okay, we've got an 18-month usage period and the single audit is based on a 12-month fiscal year audit, right? So we had to reconcile the fact that our usage period was not a 12-month period. And so there was an extension of time that was provided um, to kind of give providers an extra six months based on the additional six months of the usage period. Also, we realized, oh, we're going to be, we have, an, we have an affirmative duty to report on the HRSA PRS portal. How, how can we streamline this for, for providers that really are not used to, uh, well, nobody has done the PRF reporting, right? right? So nobody's used to it. And then they're also not familiar with the single audit requirement. So how do we marry those two? And there was some additional guidance that said, okay, whatever you report financially in the portal, you can also report on the the statement of federal awards and expenses. Yeah. Okay. Or expenditures. Okay. So that makes um, sense. Yeah. Now, if you miss the date, um, if you, you know, if, if the single audit date, um, if you miss the deadline, um, that is not something that you can go back to HRSA and say, hey, I missed the deadline. Can I report? Because HRSA, HRSA is only, only has oversight over the PRF program and the reporting on the portal. So if you go back and you tell HRSA, hey, I, you know, I, I missed the reporting in the portal, um, but I'm willing to report, they have been lenient and they have allowed providers to report late and still keep the funds. Um, if you miss the deadline for the single audit, that's when I'm gonna have to tap out and say, let's work with your accountant um, what do we need to do with the OMB? Um, because, you know, they're responsible for the single audit uh, deadlines and, you know, in, any extensions beyond the, beyond the due date. Okay. Now, when in, somebody's hiring an independent auditor, so from, from my perspective, when I try to tell clients, and please add to this, is that first of all from what i've read it has to be somebody outside your organization so that it's that's what independent means and because of the unique nature of the single audit you can't just trust any cpa so you don't just look i mean i know this sounds old school you don't just look in the yellow pages or go online and find somebody you need to find somebody that specializes in single audits maybe has and ask them have they taken continuing education courses required by government audit standards i was looking at that as well so that you can tell if they're a special uh, specialist in that uh, area and understand the deadlines would that be a good place to start that would be a great place to start. Okay. And I would also have a good conversation with your accountant. From, from you know, it, from my experience, not all accounting firms do auditing because right. it is special, right? We're not just looking at the money and, and the finances, we're also auditing the operations. So it's a particular art and expertise and not all accounting firms do that. That's okay um, because th these are specialists within the accounting world. I don't so think a lot of providers know, though, you have to go outside your right. organization or it has to be independent. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You have to go outside your organization. It has to be independent. You can't do it internally. And you've got to find someone that does the specialization. Um, 
you know, that, that does do the auditing has, has auditing insurance, right? So has the specialization, has the experience, has the insurance. Um, but then also has, is familiar with single audit, which is a particular type of audit for entities that receive government funds. So it's like, right. it's, you know, it's, we're reporting to the Office of Management and Budget. There's a particular protocol and process. And you have to have some kind of familiarity with the provider relief funds because you're auditing compliance with the, with the guidance. Right. And, and also, one of the things, I mean, we always talk about this just in, in regular business transactions is that, you know, garbage in, garbage out. Remember, the person that you hire to be your CPA auditor independently, they can only assess what you provide. So it's important that mm -hmm. I'm talking to the listeners, they have, you have to be transparent. You have to be methodical when presenting them with information. You need to organize your federal grant information, including any award documentation that you received. I know some of those awards had assistant listing numbers, um, but that has to be easily summarized for your auditor. Otherwise, it's going to be kind of a mess, I would think. Right. Absolutely. And, and hopefully you worked very closely with that auditor on it, it with in re correctly reporting through the PRF portal, because whatever you reported there has to match what you're going to report um, on the CFA statement of expenses and federal awards. And that should also match your financial records, which should also match your tax records, right? So it all kind of goes together. Um, and so that's, so that's such great advice, Terry, um, avoid the garbage in garbage out and definitely utilize someone with expertise in this area. And we are so blessed, um, through the NSC HBC to have quite a number of, of CPAs that do the single audit and are familiar with the PRF program and can assist our clients. I know that I have utilized, <laughs> I have utilized a, a number of experts in our organization and, and my clients are so grateful. Yeah, myself included. Um, because as you know, I'm really, my wheelhouse is revenue cycle management, coding, billing compliance. And I hear all this tax information and provider relief funding. I'm like, wait, I have a person for you. <laughs> you know, and that, that helps us tremendously. So we definitely uh, hope our, our listeners are taking advantage of that as well. So in wrapping this up, um, can you just give maybe five tips to get this started and to maybe make sure that everyone is heads up is that this isn't optional. <laughs> this is mandated because I just saw it on the OIG website as well. Yes, the OIG will start. The OIG is going to be the enforcement arm, right? That's, that's going to look at, um, conduct investigations and look at providers that maybe did not report altogether or their reporting doesn't look like it should. So here, here's my overall, I guess, takeaway thought. Okay. Um, the government is going to, it's going to be very easy for the government to audit the PRF reporting and the single audit that they receive. They can easily identify those providers that received money and didn't report, right? So that's low-hanging fruit, super easy. So you want to make sure, if, if you're compiling a checklist here, that, that you did report on the PRF portal and you have confirmation that you're reported. You're not going to have confirmation that it was approved or that everything was, was good, right? That's what people right. are looking for. You're just going to have confirmation that your report was successfully submitted. 
So low-hanging fruit for the government is, hey, did, did everybody who was supposed to report report? The second thing that they're going to look at is, did you receive more than $750,000 in provider relief funds? Again, that's really easy to identify, and that's actually a question on the portal. Are you subject to single audit? And if you are subject to single audit, they can tell very quickly who did not file a single audit, right? So checklist number two is, am I subject to single audit, and did I correctly perform the single audit and submit it to OMB. Right. Okay. Um, so those are going to be really easy for the government to, to figure out who those individuals are. And then I think the third thing that the government is going to do is look at similarly, similarly situated providers, whether it's by revenue or by specialty or by region, and look at what was reported and look for discrepancies and look for outliers and we know the OIG does this, right? So, so Terry, um, you know, you do a lot of this work. Um, a, a lot of providers fall victim to audit because they are outliers. And so they'll be looking for, you know, people that reported garbage and, um, you know, and, and saying, hmm, why did you report garbage? This, looks, this doesn't look like everyone else. Let's take a closer look at that. So I, I think that's going to be the third area that the, that the government looks at and, and it's going to be ripe for, for audit. And remember, there's a three-year look-back period. And so um, I'm not surprised that the OIG has hopped on this uh, because of the shorter look-back period and um, the fact that we had so many providers that just failed to report. Which actually, the, so my last remarks on this as well, just, just to be aware, then again, to our listeners, what Amanda and I are, are actually talking about is the $750,000 category of the single audit. If you receive less than that, you still had to report what, what you received and how you spent it. So you don't think that you're still out of having to report your information. This is just almost an, an, an additional um, audit, well, that's what it is actually, of those higher reimbur or higher uh, received funds and expenditures. Would that be fair? That is, that is a perfect explanation, Terry. Okay. This is above and beyond your <laughs> everyone's general reporting responsibility. Okay, good. All right. Well, hopefully this gave everyone and our listeners some insight as what you need to report. We're at the end of the year and, you know, at being uh, at the end of 2022, this is really important tax information and also information to make sure that uh, you're above reproach, you're being proactive, and just know that this is a requirement. We wanted to make sure you had it before the end of the year. So Amanda, thank you for being on the podcast today. We truly appreciate your legal and business insights and this very, on this very timely topic. And we just really appreciate how valuable you are to our members and hopefully potential members out there. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Perry. And congratulations on a great 2022. And again, on your nomination for this podcast. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you very much. You can reach Amanda at nschbc.org. Go to the Find the Consultant tab and type in her first name and her information will pop up for you, same as my information. Also, make sure you do check out our website at nschbc.org. Find our educational opportunities that we have. We have our Medicare fourth quarter um, update that's coming on the 20th of December. We also have free webinars and we'll have a new uh, updated titles for you for 2023. Don't forget our winter workshop in Arizona this year in 
uh, January and then also our annual meeting that'll be uh, next summer in June. So everyone, make it a great day, a great rest of your month. Happy holidays. And thank you for listening to the NSCHBC podcast. Thank you for listening to the NSCHBC Edge podcast. Join us on the second Tuesday of each month as our consultants tackle the complexities of navigating the business of medicine. You can reach us on the web at nschbc.org, the National Society of Certified Healthcare Business Consultants. 